Welcome back to There Will Be Spoilers, 100 Films, 100 Podcasts. My name is Matt Bazell. And I'm Ethan Knight. And we are back with number nine on the AFI Top 100 <laughs> list of films, 1958's Vertigo. Vertigo, also an Amber Lee favorite. This is directed by Hitchcock. Who? Alfred Hitchcock. I don't know him. Oh, yeah. He's a little-known director. Hopefully, we can talk about him and really get him some publicity because I don't really think anyone knows about him. Yeah, this is kind of... its. I'm surprised that such a small movie made it onto the list. Speaking of another small personality, we've also got James or Jimmy Stewart that we've never uh, seen Jim, before. Jimmy, Jimmy Stewart. How do you have an impression for him if you've never seen him in a... Well, I've heard of him. I just haven't heard enough. <laughs> We, he's back with Alfred Hitchcock, he, right? Just like he Rear is Window. back. We've had him in quite a few uh, episodes now, at least three, right? It's a Wonderful Life, Rear Window, Vertigo. Uh, he was in Philadelphia Story. Philadelphia Story and the uh, one uh, where he Washington. goes, Mr. Smith, Washington. Yeah, he Washington. might be the winner so far of starring roles. He may be. We'll, ha- we'll have to figure it out uh, as we get closer here. Yeah, As we be get closer, we're data. in the top fucking ten. Yeah, there'll be data toward the end. But has this been a film that you've seen before? I have not seen this one before. Hadn't seen it before. Greatly anticipated it. A lot Me of too. people had been saying, hey, I think you'd like Vertigo. Yeah, I looked I looked forward to it very much. But before we talk about whether or not they were right, these other people telling us we would like Vertigo, let's get a plot synopsis. Sure. Uh, so, Vertigo is the story of John Scotty Ferguson, a San Francisco detective forced into early retirement after a rooftop, rooftop chase accident where he develops acrophobia and vertigo. Or maybe he already has it and it's exacerbated. Whatever, it's bad after his rooftop accident. While he's not happy about it, his friend and ex-fiancee Midge suggests that only another major shock may be the cure. Uh, so Scotty comes out of retirement after an old college acquaintance asks him to follow his wife. Uh, the man, Gavin Elster, uh, suspects that his wife's strange and suicidal tendencies are brought on from possession by an ancestor of hers who also died by suicide at the same age as Elster's wife, Madeline. Scotty follows Madeline, noting that she visits... Uh, all sorts of different places, including uh, a portrait of her ancestor, Carlotta. She goes and puts flowers on Carlotta's grave. She, in general, mimics the look of Carlotta in the portrait. Uh, and then, finally, Scotty witnesses Madeline throw herself into the San Francisco Bay, and he leaps in to save her. Uh, after he pulls her out of the water, Scotty brings her back to his apartment, and the two spend the next day together. They visit the ocean. They embrace... Uh, And then Madeline recounts a dream uh, of a mission, uh, which of course turns out to be the childhood home of her ancestor, Carlotta. So Scotty takes her there, and the two express their love for each other. Madeline, however, runs off towards the bell tower after they make out a little bit. Scotty tries to follow, but is unable to make it up the stairs due to his acrophobia. Madeline throws herself off the tower and, and dies. 
So later, Scotty testifies about her death, and it's declared a suicide. Scotty, as a result, becomes clinically depressed. He's placed in a sanatorium, where he's all but catatonic. After he recovers, he begins to visit the places Madeline frequented, becoming obsessed with her, and begins to see women who he thinks are her at first glance. One of the women truly does bear a striking resemblance to her, and he tails her. Uh, at her hotel or apartment whatever same thing i guess he learns her name is judy uh and she insists that she's lived in san francisco for three years after moving from kansas that she's decidedly not madeline turns out however she is the madeline that scotty knows elster paid her to change her appearance to resemble his wife and had her visit all these places that scotty tailed her in madeline's car elster insisted that she climb the clock tower where he knew he would be safe from scotty and where he had the body of his murdered wife ready the actual madeline when uh, judy the fake madeline arrives at the top of the tower he throws his wife's body from the top and hides with judy uh, judy considers telling scotty everything but decides against it hoping that he will come to love her for who she is not who she pretends to be so the two begin to date but scotty remains obsessed with madeline and begins to force judy to change her appearance to be more madeline alike however scotty realizes the truth when he notices that judy wears a necklace that matches the one from the carlotta painting he realizes that not only was she forced to pretend to be elster's wife but she was also probably his mistress as well um, he forces her to go to the mission where he drags her up the stairs and makes her admit her deceit to him as she explains herself and begs for mercy a nun comes up the stairs but judy mistakes her shadowed form for elster and in fear she backs away and falls out of the tower and, and dies scotty cured of his acrophobia and vertigo looks down upon her body as the nun rings the bell now you mentioned that she mistook the nun for elster why do you say that well i, I well maybe she doesn't mistake the nun for elster but the nun comes out of like a you know the trap door or whatever uh, and is this, like, shadowy figure. I sort of assumed she was afraid that Elster was back again to to sort of get her. She, you know, she's being used, obviously, by these two men. Uh, and she's scared enough to fall the fuck out of the bell tower. She's being used by two men? Well, I mean, I think that Scotty is using her, definitely. Uh, I think it's far more complicated than that, but we can turn to that a little bit later. Yeah, we can. Yeah, it's more nuanced than that. I mean, that's the shortest hand version of it, but yeah. I was wondering why she falls out of the tower out of fear. And I think the conclusion I came to, and I really wasn't sure, and that's why I'm asking about this, is that she now resembles the dead wife again. And now there's a witness to see her with scotty and that would put the whole thing right the jig is up at that point right if she's found yeah, out yeah is that the implication yeah. Uh, yeah i think that's part of it i think also i don't i don't know that she means to to throw herself out the window right no right it seems to be a fear response because she backs out as opposed to turns and leaps yeah and so so i think it's probably a little bit of that because you're right that she's showed up with him and you're and the jig is up she's not getting out of this in any easy way because my reading of it was she is actually judy and yes yeah, yeah she is and that's why she's got the driver's license that's why she, all that stuff right that's her real life but it just seems like the fake one given the situation yeah and then she 
acquiesces to Scotty bit by bit by bit to become Maddie again. Yeah. And then she makes that final resistance about the hair. And then when she changes that, that's why it's such a big moment and why they do all the camera tricks and stuff to to make it seem more surreal for Scotty because that doubling becomes complete. Yeah. And that also is what would mean that there is no further obfuscating this crime. Yeah, but I but I don't think that in that moment, I don't think he's trying to force her to do all that because he's trying to uncover the crime. I think he's genuinely, like, fucked up. Right, no, yeah, I agree. I'm just saying that I yeah, think yeah. that kind of maybe explains her reaction more to the non... Because that, that, okay, so that was, I think for me initially, the mar to this film that I really liked. I'll just put it up front. I really enjoyed this film. was very engaged throughout loved all of the themes and the potential of the supernatural, right? The weird. Yeah. Yeah. Which we'll talk far more about when we get to our three questions, but that last scene felt so abrupt, right? The nun just kind of just like gives a real quick explanation that kind of feels cut in weird. And we're not really clear the motivations of Judy Madeline falling and, or jumping. Right. So it just, it felt a little hurried and I was like, Whoa, could we breathe a second? Like I felt like there could have been one more minute to that final scene. Yeah. And I, th- I I definitely get the sense that the frenzy of that last scene is, is to sort of elicit a reaction from the audience not dissimilar to how the two characters feel, right? Like, he he drags her up the stairs very quickly. It's all the weird, you know, the, the camera angles are all sort of uh, Dutch and uncomfortable, cl- too close, you know, all, all these sort of things, because I, I think it represents, right? Like, we, we are overloaded with information and, and sort of affect as well. I also just wonder if that doesn't work against what the movie, not to say that it can't do this, right? You can change effects, you can change the pace, just like you can change the tempo in a song to create meaning. But the film has been not languorous, but you can think of that that long description you gave of Scotty falling, who is at that point Madeline, throughout her day until she jumps into the bay, right? There's this huge, slow, ominous, well-scored moment, mm-hmm. which is a very long moment. And so for this to end so abruptly, I can see meaning in that, but I also think wouldn't it have been more effective to maybe do something you got the ominous score you have them up there they're embracing you see footsteps it's the nun we don't know right obfuscate that she gets to the top and then we get that moment of fright so we have this build-up of anticipation and we can still have that suddenness there at the end where she trip falls jumps whatever and the nun gives a hasty explanation but i felt we could have built up to that like i don't i don't think all of it needed to be sudden i think we could have varied that pace a bit yeah, I think too. Some of it maybe is just constra- I mean, it's this is a long movie. This is not a short one, you know. It's what like two and a half hours. I think it's only like two ten, or maybe it is two and a half. I it didn't. I honestly can't remember because it felt. It's one hundred and twenty eight like, minutes. Yeah, I was I was enthralled for most of it. Yeah, well, and I kept being surprised. I was like, I, I was like, this the the end has to be here. And there was, I mean, you know, Madeline dies and I was like, what, that can't be the end. But, and then there was another hour, you know? Right. Yeah. There's a literal halfway moment when Scotty and Madeline sort of confess their love for each other. 
It like fades to black for longer than our usual screen transition. And then we go on to the second part. So that's the actual halfway point. But then only like 15 minutes after that, she ostensibly or apparently dies. Yeah. And you think, whoa, didn't see that coming. It's yeah. like Psycho, right? Which also yeah. is cock. It's like Psycho where our main character up to that point is dead. And you're thinking, what is the rest of this movie? Right. So I, I saw that that connection there. And that's obviously... Well, not maybe not obviously, but I would argue due to the director. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And 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 it works. I mean, this is this is thrilling and confused. I mean, I spent so much of this movie being like, "What the fuck? What the fuck? How do you? How what? It it, it can't be the supernatural, but they're kind of setting it up like it might be." Which I think is one of the real strengths of the film. Yes. Oh my God! It's it it, it, it the reveal is fantastic and that it is pretty simple right the the reveal itself is is not that complicated it's been sort of built up to be this complicated thing but no he just he gets this woman to pretend to be his wife so that he can murder his wife and and use jimmy stewart as the stooge right i don't know if it's exactly simple it is a pretty elaborate gaslighting like a lot has to go right for this plan to come off yes i mean it's something that only happens in a movie but but it's not as you know. I'm thinking like, what is it? There's are there ghosts and maybe this and that. You know, the whatever scheme I concocted in my head was was far more complicated and and nonsensical than what we what were shown, right? Well, one further point to to add that add to that is when after Madeline is dead, which I guess we can say that with sincerity because the wife is actually dead and the character mm-hmm. of Madeline, who is actually Judy, is dead in that case. Right. He keeps seeing her. Right. And yeah. similar looking women and films do that a lot. Yeah. And it's never convincing. But in this, I was like, is it her? Yeah. Like, I could totally see a case in which that happened. So the movie got me to suspend my disbelief or to suspend a bias I typically have against that particular technique in film because I never find it truly convincing. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm with you. And it's the, it's the same thing, right? When he goes to the uh, he's tailing her and he goes to the hotel and he sees her in the window in the hotel and he goes up there, and she's not fucking there. Yeah, that, so that was one of my questions. I usually have a list of questions that I want to talk through with you on these films. That's one of them. So yeah. where was she? Did she just do a very sneaky sneak out? But how did she get past the attendant at the front desk? Or was she in on it? Like, what was the deal there? I mean, I guess she sneaks out, or she hides in the closet or something. I mean, I, I, I don't really know, actually. But she can't have gotten to the room without the key which it's one of those places european style where you've only got the one key yeah unless she has a duplicate okay so maybe we can just write that off as she used some trickery yeah well and it's it it becomes clear that that's meant to and who knows maybe the the hotel woman is in on it too i mean this elster is rich you know Mm -hmm. and if he's willing to sort of pay off uh judy what who's to say he's not paying off that that other woman right and making jimmy stewart look feel like he's nuts which right. is the point right he's, he's yeah. trying to you know we don't ever really get a good gaslighting in a movie like this and this is just a real good gaslighting oh it it's it's astoundingly good i really enjoy it i love I me mean, you have an an unsuitable unstable unreliable narrator in your protagonist, not narrating a sailor, but it's his point of view, his close yeah. point of view we're following. Yeah. Except for one point, which I'll turn to in just a second. And that really works for and against the audience 
in like, well, is he actually seeing her there? Oh, I don't know. He's having this weird dream yeah. sequence. What happened? Did he do here? It, so I really enjoy that. I really oh, the dream, I love the that. dream sequences too were just fucking great. I mean, yeah. it, it, it this is a this is such a well crafted film, without a doubt. It is a it is so perfectly crafted, and it works. I would say it's perfect in many respects, but my two final questions, I think. One lesser, one just kind of an observation. And the second one I really think is the one where I really want to dig down on that. So yeah, first, yeah, yeah. what sort of court are they having there? It's just like mm. 10 people. That's not a real. Yeah, that does not look real. I had the same thing and I was like, what fucking year is this? And it's it's like 58 or something. Like, it's weird. What also just doesn't fit the justice system because you've got this judge who is just like dunking on Scotty oh the God, whole yes. time. I think Olivia said he, something like he throws shade or some some silly thing the kids say. Well, uh, it, but it's not even shade, right? Because shade is like uh, side eyed. Oh, but this yeah. is just like slapping Jimmy Stewart in the yes. face. Like you're a coward and you're weak and you let this thing happen again. And I guess we won't blame you for your weakness. And it's not murder for doing nothing. The justice system has nothing to account for when someone does nothing. He's just ragging on the whole time. You're like, yeah. what is this? Cause this cannot be a courtroom. No. And it's, it's not a courtroom. I mean, it's, they, they do that pull away shot and it's just like a room. It looks like a room where you have like a middle school play set in a courtroom. So I just wanted to know what that was supposed to be with one extra line of exposition from someone or like Elster afterward is like, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry my business had to do this or I'm sorry the life yeah. insurance company had to come out and ask this of you. Like that yeah. would have cleared it up for me and made it less of a question. Well, and I, I think at, at the very least, if we think about what that scene does is that versus what like, you know, because we know it doesn't really fit. It's, it's again, very strange. But what that scene does is set up an even more unnerving sense of like, this doesn't feel right. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like we're in reality. Like what is happening? You know, we're like literally out of like place. And this was a question at the time, which is obviously solved by the plot. And so it's not something to fault the movie for. I was like, doesn't this husband like realize what was up with he, right. with his wife and Scotty. But of course that's all part of the plan. So yeah. that's cleared up. Because they, they have this affair, effectively, which turns out to actually not be an affair. And the husband's just gone from it. And I'm like, Scotty, did you forget that you got this friend of yours you might have some sort of obligation to? But yeah. And I, but that was that's really nothing, right? The plot is like that is the plan. Yeah. Well, and I'll also say, I mean, if we're going to poke a few holes here and there, uh, you know, the the romance between them is is problematic. Maybe we can talk about that later. That, Yeah. Sure. So the main thing I wanted to turn to, my largest grievance, if I can even level a grievance at this film, because, I, again, throwing perfect in a lot of ways. Yeah. I think I it probably I qualifies as a masterpiece. Yeah. But the scene where Judy sits down and writes the letter that she tears up and shows us all the cards that were being held, yeah. how they did this and why it happened. It's the first time we really draw away from Scotty's point of view. Yeah. And when I think about if they didn't show us this and get that reveal all up there at the end before Judy dies, isn't that better? Because now as we are going up the stairs with Scotty, we think he's completely unhinged. His actions don't have the virtue of the audience knowing that she's actually 
Madeline to him as well. So it's not nearly as creepy to yeah. us that she, he is transforming her back into Madeline. If yeah. it's if we're not aware of that, we're watching this man spiral into insanity, which he actually is. But it just turns out consequentially he, that, he's, that he's, yeah. he's right, which shouldn't matter to that situation. But it does because we know about it. And I would much rather see him spiraling down, not know, have it all vindicated at the end or have that when she puts the necklace on the moment we're like, oh, now yeah. we start seeing. Or like I thought, if this is a fake, right? Is he imagining the necklace too? Is it just some other necklace? Right. Well, and I think the problem then becomes uh, if, if if we sort of end that at the end or we put that scene at the end, like where we're talking about, we lose Madeline as like a fully formed character Right. Then she's then she's outside. Like we're let into her narrative. Right. So we can sort of understand why she's doing what she's doing. Uh, but and, we and get I, that at the end, too. Right. We could say we could get her admission at the end and his recognition. Nothing really has to change except we don't show that scene. And then we give like maybe three extra lines of dialogue to each character at the end. And I think it eliminates the need for that reveal unnecessarily with no tension no drama and yeah. make this become even more psychological and even more strong in her motivations as well right she really loves him yeah. and now we'll know that then and he's just gone insane at the yeah. end i think uh i i really wish that wasn't the case yeah I, I also run into the idea too of like if they reveal it right at the end I don't know if I would have bought it as much because I've definitely seen other, I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but there are other films that have like reveals like this or, or novels, stories, whatever, that have reveals like this. And if it's not placed correctly, I always have trouble buying. I'm like, what the fuck? What? I don't believe that. And this, for whatever reason, I, I bought you know, like I, I didn't question. I wasn't like, oh, this is they're fucking with us. I, that it felt like a, a real moment of truth, which maybe after an hour and you know and a half at that point, that a little bit of truth and a little bit of sanity goes a long way in this movie because <laughs> you don't I, really. Yeah, I guess, but I mean, I think the placement doesn't matter in this case because the reason is believable because it's an elaborate yeah. gaslighting. Yeah. And so, what if you believed it at an hour and a half, you'd believe it at two hours ten. Like I yeah, think it's maybe the you're same right. thing. I don't know. So that's something I'm really worked up about, obviously. But we're already going extremely long, so I do we, want to get to our pivotal scene. Yes, but I have one more question for you because I thought Let's this is the question you might ask. Because I do think this is maybe the only other like major flaw with this film. And it seems to be a Hitchcock trend. What the why does Alfred Hitchcock cast leading men in romantic relationships? with women where the man looks like he's got a foot, one foot in the grave and she looks like she's got one foot coming out of the womb. Like the, I think the, you're arguing against history in that. Maybe, maybe. I mean, that's just, that's historically been the case both in America and other cultures across time. So yeah, it's something that we feel weird about. And I have a note, one of my first notes like, man, Jimmy Stewart's looking old. He looks old, man. And she does, she's like 25 years old. And actually, she's 26. And he's somewhere around like. He's 50. He's 49 or 50. Okay. So he's almost 40 years older than she is. Yeah. But so is Elster, right? It's just that I think it's just the cultural thing. And yeah, that is a Hitchcock thing, it seems like as well. Well, because he cast Jimmy Stewart in the in in Rear Window. And I remember watching Jimmy Stewart in Rear Window, and I think he takes his shirt off, and I was like, he looks like a fucking skeleton. 
<laughs> you know, he like looks like he's dead. Uh, and the same, Cary Grant is like ancient in North by Northwest. Uh, I really think that's just an expression of the time. But also, yes, I mean, something maybe particularly Hitchcockian as well. Yeah, well, and I think he he was obsessed with, uh, was it Novak that he was obsessed with, Hitchcock? A couple of his leading ladies he was, like, weirdly obsessed with and was a lot older than. Uh, and had like sure. Rom- yeah, I think in, in, like, the bird, whatever the actresses is in The Birds, he, anyway, oh, yeah. That does sound familiar, but I will say that. Jimmy Stewart wasn't okay with that at the time. He always sort of lamented the fact that he was like, oh, I'm supposed to be dating this like person who could be my daughter. And the, the housekeeper or the assistant in Rear Window, he was only like six years younger than or something crazy. Yeah, so, yeah. And then like, it's wonderful life. It just seems to happen to, to Jimmy Stewart a lot. Yeah. But that's just the case of old Hollywood, right? You've got I, Cary Grant, yeah. Jimmy Stewart. You've got those people. It's part Clark of that, Gable. yeah. So, yeah, I, I agree. But I also sort of just write off his history. Well, and we have to contextualize it, too. I mean, he was a big star. So there is probably some sort of modern equivalent of, you know, there's an older star with younger Well, Brad Pitt, Tom Cruise, both are ancient. They don't look like it because we have technology these days. Yeah, although uh, Tom Cruise is starting to look a little uh, worse for wear. Sure, but, I mean, the idea is that these are much older men who obviously are cast with much younger women and that's so obviously a cultural thing that hasn't changed that much unfortunately no i think you're probably right but let let's go to my pivotal scene yeah yeah sorry yes so this is really late in the film this is an hour and 50 in this is where finally we're getting this judy back into maddie we're seeing her submitting she's like i'll change these things if it'll mean you'll like me i just want you to like me and so there's this this where, where Scotty is thinking, okay, I can make you more like her. And she acquiesces in this this pivot that I have, the scene I picked out, ends with him looking at her hair and saying, but the hair. But the hair. Oh, yeah, it's bad. <laughs> but obviously I'm not doing justice to it, and that's why we have the little scene. So why don't we give it a listen? Let's listen. Why are you doing this? What, what good will it do? I don't know. I don't know. No good, I guess. I don't know. I wish you'd leave me alone. I, I want to go away. You can't, you know. No, you, you wouldn't let me. And I, I don't want to go. Oh, Judy. Judy, I tell you this. These past few days have been the first happy days I've known in a year. I know. I know because... Because I remind you of her. Not even that very much. No. No, Judy. Judy, it's you, too. There's something in you that... You don't even want to touch me. Yes, yes, I do. Couldn't you like me? Just me, the way I am? When we first started out, it was so good. We, We had fun. And then you started in on the clothes. Well, I'll wear the darn clothes if you want me to, if, if you'll just, just like me. Mm-hmm. 
matter to you. Right, so again, the reason I picked this is it represents a lot of the themes for me in this film. We've got the weird, right? Just the idea there's something supernatural, yeah. this possession from beyond the grave to try to get her to commit suicide the same age that Carlotta did. I thought that was really fun and set up well, but the, also the idea of the doppelganger. Yeah, the doppelganger. Doppelganger, I mean, tr- the doubling. This is a true case of a doppelganger in yeah, that yeah. she is the character he thinks she is but she's a distinct person and that just layered the traditional doppelganger for me in a way that was really satisfying because she can show him the kansas driver's license and say i'm judy i think it's barton right judy barton yeah i think so and he's like well i feel like you're madeline and that's all part of his hang up his mental trauma really yeah and i thought that was so well done i thought this slow slip into insanity because of the doubling because of the doppelganger because all triggered from this gaslighting but deepened further by his acrophobia and the fact that he was unable to save a fellow officer who died and again you have that again moment with madeline who dies the same way and of course before that when she jumps off the bridge there's another moment of doubling and then finally at the end when she does fall again so there's this, I, I hesitate to use the word dreamlike because it feels very realistic, but there's almost this dream recurrence, or we can just call it just a recurrence of reality through this doubling, through this doppelganger. And it starts spinning out of control in a way that the film makes really good use of. And I, so I just picked this scene because I think it just expands our whole atmosphere of this film. Like when she's walking through the redwoods, and she apparently disappears. Yes. I, oh, I forgot about completely bought yeah. it. I was so ready to say, oh, my gosh, she's a ghost. And then you see her just standing around a tree and yes. does her fake trance thing that is part of the gaslighting. But it's a moment like that that makes even something so unbelievable become believable to you, the audience, and have you on tenterhooks there at the end. Yeah. And, and truly, this is a film... I really I sat there and said over and over, "What the fuck? How like the redwoods?" They said, "What? What the fuck? Where did she go? What? Where?" You know, it 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 mm. does it so well. I, I yeah. So I had to point that out. There are many places you can pick instead, but this is one of those things where you need to see it or at least hear part of it to understand yeah. the complexity of the relationships and how. Each are playing different games. His is a game of madness that he's not really in the driver's seat of, but right. she is trying to make this conversion or parlay his love of Madeline into his love of her, but yeah. also feeds into his obsession and his trauma of yeah. that initial event. So I thought that was highly, highly, highly well done and yes. really impressive. Just let's pour one out for uh, Midge. Poor Midge. So there's actually a final scene that's that's taken out where mm-hmm. he's with her after the events of Judy Barton's death, and they're listening on the radio 
to the fact that Elster is still evading cops. So mm-hmm. that gives us some closure of the loop with Midge in that he is orbited back to her again because we get the impression that she would like to rekindle her romance after yeah. she paints the ill-taste portrait of her as Carlotta, saying, like, yeah. I should be the object of your affections again. But he's so he's distraught obsessed. by yeah his obsession that he's, he takes it as a, as a poor joke. Yeah, and and I mean it 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 is such a jarring thing to see, and this is why the casting is is so good. Aside from the fact that Jimmy Stewart's three hundred years old, he is a a really benevolent. He has a benevolent feel. He's a benevolent character, like as a person, as an actor. So to see him become this obsessed man, right, who is willing to, you know, to hurt Midge and willing to, like, force this woman. And she tells him no over and over. She's like, please don't. I want to leave. You know, he's like, no, you're going to put this on. You're getting, And we're going to fix your hair. And you're going to have to put your hair the way I want it. You know what I mean? Like, there to see him, and then he's when he drags her up the stairs and there's that shot of her feet to show she's being fucking dragged. Uh, to see Jimmy Stewart become this uh, sort of evil character. Not he's not actually evil, right? But but he is sinister. Uh, is is so effective because it's like seeing you know it's like your dad tried to murder you or something. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. I think he's he's well cast for this, and I mean I think we really just buy into the character and that spiral downward because of all he's gone through and the fact that it keeps recurring in the same fashion, which is an element of traumatic recurrence and so in that case there is some accuracy there we'll take some umbrage for some other things here in a minute but before we get to our three questions i feel like we need to talk about anchor sure i love talking about anchor okay the first of our three questions is what do we owe to this film well this i'm really excited to talk about we owe to this film the what is often called the vertigo effect or the dolly the dolly zoom in or whatever it's called uh which is to say the camera both physically is moved away or towards the actor but it also zooms in or out at the same time which gives that weird distortion effect which mm-hmm. we saw this is a the you know a classic shot in jaws right uh with that uh and we see it again and again and again to show jimmy stewart's vertigo uh, and that this is the first film to do that, and it definitely works. It works. It's fucking cool. That's one of my f- most favorite uh, uh, effects uh, in fi- in film. Period. I love it. I think that's such a cool thing. It's so disorienting. It it telegraphs so much information, uh, and and it comes from here. I also think to speak about some of the films that we owe to this. I've already mentioned just generally. The idea of having the weird or potential supernatural, even though it's disabused at the end or in the middle or however you want to think about it. I think we owe a lot to that coming in there, right? We don't really get a whole lot of these supernatural weird films Mm -hmm. that are taken seriously. And of course, this one isn't exactly one, but I do think it, it allows us to suspend our disbelief and play in that space a bit before they take that option away. So I think that's good. There's also the Benedict Cumberbatch Sherlock. The yeah. throw a body moment is yeah. very much from this film. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't even think about that, but you're right. Yeah, and and just the way that that I think this film is sort of 
laid out right that that it is the thriller with the twist uh, you know this is something i mean we call it hitchcockian right like when something is like this right uh it's sort of like o- overtly sexual uh without being t- fully explicit it has some sort of like psychological twist there's all sorts of psychological drama there's the sort of you know, mixing of worlds, whether we think about like psycho or this, right. Whether it's the supernatural or the gender bending sort of stuff, right. Like this is an, this I think helps solidify that in a way that the other Hitchcock films we've seen so far don't, don't do. I also think that Chinatown owes a great deal yeah, to this film yeah. in the feel of San Francisco, if nothing else. Yeah. But I would call this film a, a noir. It's a psychological noir yes, for it is. most of the film. And then it becomes, at the end, this love drama. But it is firmly rooted in the noir. There's a mystery that needs to be solved. We're tailing people. We're doing detective stuff. We're figuring stuff out. We're getting contrasting information. It feels very much like the early parts of Chinatown. Yeah, it does. I think you're right. And I, I think I'm, I'm well on the record that I... <laughs> been a fan of the noir yes yeah yeah and that they can be in color too yes i agree i think they can be in color i'm with you but our next question is does this film hold up uh i think the answer is is a resounding yes uh mainly because based on our experience of watching it right um i think that you know the the cinematography is is masterful there's not a boring shot in this film, right? Uh, and the camera tells so much of the story without any exposition. Uh, and, and and I think even the sort of treatment of women in this film, which is highly problematic, uh, is used not not to sort of... Nor- not, it's not normalized, right? It, it is used in such a way as to accentuate that Jimmy Stewart is, is not well or not right. Y- you know what I mean? And don't forget also Elster, right? Elster thinks oh, yes. he can just use and abuse and throw away women. Yes. And, and of course, uh, he doesn't actually, in this film, get any comeuppance, right? Mm-hmm. He, gets a, he gets away with it. Uh, you know, that, that sort of excised scene aside, he gets away with it. Yeah, well, even in the excised scene, he gets away with it, right? Yeah. Where he's still eluding capture. So it is, again, to work against normalization of the depiction of women, how they are used and abused. And so the stuff where it does actually get into the muddy waters with representation of women, I think it's doing to write against it, right? It doesn't yeah. feel, it doesn't feel guilty of the same sins it's trying to condemn. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think you're right. And for myself, and does this film hold up? I've already spoken often at the beginning of the very few issues I have with this film, because honestly, I do think it is a masterpiece. I think it is probably my favorite film on the list so far wow that's a big endorsement big endorsement i cannot recommend this film enough i know we don't recommend the films yeah on the afi we do the on the bonus content but i i really do think it's masterpiece and do you think those it's better two than things jaws? yeah it's better than jaws ethan yeah this movie is better, is than, better jaws. than jaws yeah this movie is better than jaws but not by a wide margin though well what i'll say is that we can put jaws on the same level with the thriller aspect, but the psychological aspect, Jaws is absent. 
Yeah, and well, and it's and it's very obvious from just like that. I was talking about that shot in Jaws, right? Like you don't have Jaws without this movie. You don't. I think you don't. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I will say some maybe further things about how it has held up or lack of holding up. Obviously, it holds up as a viewer incredibly, but some of its ideas of how trauma works and what treatment for yeah. trauma looks like. He gets the most radical immersion therapy and that works for him in that case but yeah i don't know i have (laughs) i guess i have acrophobia right a fear of heights though i don't get vertigo when i look down what happens is when i know my body is higher off the ground than it should be i start you know elevated breathing and and start losing control of my body right i just become like closer to catatonic so very different experience but he has trauma associated with all of this right and I just don't think that that's how that works. Although they get a lot of, like I mentioned, the traumatic recurrence and the fact that he keeps trying to go back to this moment. And this moment keeps occurring and he's an instrument in that moment, right? He keeps setting himself up for having these moments. That's all very real. It's all very in line with what we know about trauma theory today. But that radical immersion therapy, I'm going to say, is probably not approved practice. It's not good science. <laughs> well, then we just have left. Do we care about this film? Yeah, the answer is yes. I, absolutely. I, I think that this there, like, if you if you can if I can sit down and say pretty strongly, you don't have Jaws without this movie. We have to care about it. Jaws is so important, and if and if it's it, it, it's influencing movies like that. There are so many other movies that this is that it has that you know this has its fingers in and. And it is it is masterfully done. It is it is probably uh, I think it's the best Hitchcock film I've seen so far. And it was one of the lost ones with Rear Window as well. In that the copyright was belonged to Hitchcock's daughter, and she didn't release them for a long time. Oh, really? So I think people had them, saw them, and then they were gone for a while. Which my gosh, can you imagine a world without Vertigo and Oh Rear yeah, Window? that's wild. So, yeah, absolutely, I do care about this. This makes me want to get a Hitchcock Criterion Collection set and have several of these films because I do think they're treasures. This one particularly, uh, it's going to be tough to unseat this, Yeah, even in the last eight. Yeah, I I think that we've made our sort of break into the top ten films with a a serious bang, right? Uh, Wizard of Oz and then this man is it yeah do you think this is better than wizard of oz yeah i do yeah i think you're probably right it is it's gonna be like i said it's gonna be real hard to find something for me to say oh this is a better movie than vertigo yeah just on the amount of levels and i know we're way over time but we still have not done justice to it no there's so much more to be said about this film you could write a dissertation on this film oh i'm sure plenty have been have been yeah but as I mentioned, we are over time, and so we will fade into the darkness for now, but we will be back in two weeks with number eight on the AFI Top 100, 1993, which I'll mention is the newest film since number 50, Lord of the Rings. Yeah. We're down here with Schindler's List. Schindler's List. Now, I heard this one is very uplifting. It is very exciting. A summer uh, feel-good movie, I think is what they've called it. Yep. And the fact that I've seen it has not changed my. Oh, I think this is a movie. I think Olivia's seen it and she said she never wants to see it again. (laughs) Yeah, that was kind of how I felt about it. I watched it when I was 16, 17. So when I first started dating my wife. Oh. So it's actually a film we saw together 
and oh, good. Was like <laughs> just broken by. So yeah, that to look forward to. We will, however, be back with a bonus episode next week. I haven't decided on what that is yet, but it is my choice. I will pick something, maybe something I can find as a psychological thriller that might get closer to Vertigo in some form or fashion. I don't know. Sure. I'll think about it. But until then, I have been Matt Bazell. And I'm Ethan Knight. And there will be spoilers. Oh, Jimmy Stewart, there will be spoilers. So you got your spoilers here, and then you're, you're going to have them. There, and there you're going to have them. You're, you're going to have them. You're just going to have them. There Will Be Spoilers 100 Films 100 Podcasts was created and hosted by Matt Bazell and me, Ethan Knight. Matt Bazell produces our episodes each week. Our music was created by the strange and unusual Breakmaster Cylinder, who you can find all over the internet. Our artwork was created by Becca Knight, who can be found on Twitter at Becca the Knight, and that's Knight with a K. You can follow There Will Be Spoilers on Twitter at SpoilersCast, and you can hear more episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you like our podcast, you can support us on Patreon for $5 a month at patreon.com slash spoilerscast. Your donation gives you access to two extra bonus episodes a month. Thank you for listening, and please tune in next week for more spoilers. Spoilers.